1: I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. in New York, and here is your top five at five. Corporate America set to open up the books. As investors hope that earnings season adds some fresh fuel to keep the market records coming. The G20 finance ministers signing off on that historic global tax plan, which now faces a tougher path back here at home with the U.S. Congress. China continuing its crackdown on big tech. Companies there now taking aim at Tencent. Richard Branson kicking off the billionaire space race with a successful mission to the edge of the heavens and a key test for commercial space travel. And they are still rocking in Rome. After Italy sending England to a crushing defeat in the European Soccer Championship, it is Monday, July 12th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Buongiorno, buon pomeriggio, or buonasera, And welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan, and apologies for my attempt at terrible Italian, but a huge congratulations to all of our viewers in Italy and Italians worldwide for winning the Euro 2020 soccer tournament. It was a heck of a game yesterday. We'll get more on that in a bit, but speaking of winning... Let's see if the markets can keep winning this week. The big themes will be both earnings and more inflation data tomorrow and Wednesday. You also get some key small business data out on Friday. Ahead of it all, futures are mixed. Dow futures down under nine points, but NASDAQ futures, they're indicated up about two-tenths of one percent. And we keep watching big technology because the NASDAQ 100 beginning this week with an eight-week win streak. That is the longest since May of 2019. We finished higher on the NASDAQ 100 this week, folks. It'll be nine weeks in a row. Well, bond yields falling, a big part of the story. Tenure yields holding a bit steady right now at 1.33%. Oil also another key to the week because there is still no OPEC output resolution. Production still about 400,000 b- barrels a day below where they want it to be. And inventories they continue to decline. Oil prices. Are down a bit right now, but rose to end the week. On that inventory data, we are at 73.5 bucks for US traded crude. Around the world, stocks in Asia and Europe going in different directions. The Asian markets, they were like our markets on Friday, pretty red hot. We saw gains across the board with the Nikkei 225 rising two and a quarter percent. Wow. But in the European markets early trade, not the case. We are seeing declines there, not big ones, but we are down a couple of tenths of one percent across the board, with the exception of the Italian market. And after that game in Euro, why not? The Italian market should go up. Everybody there, no doubt, is going to be in a good mood today and probably the entire week. All right, now to some of this morning's top stories globally. The G20 officially throwing its support behind that historic global tax plan. Finance ministers from the group formally backing the agreement during a meeting in Italy over the weekend. The plan, which is seen as crucial to President Biden's plan to raise corporate taxes, must now be approved by the U.S. Congress. Top Republican lawmakers are downplaying the likelihood of that happening. Meantime, China's crackdown on big tech continues, with antitrust regulators reportedly focusing on the music music streaming giant arm of Tencent. According to Reuters, officials will order the company to give up exclusive rights to music labels. Tencent Music had been pursuing exclusive streaming rights with several major record labels. The reported move comes after Chinese officials announced plans to block Tencent Holdings' plan to merge the country's top two video game streaming sites, Tencent down a bit in the free market. And the Wall Street Journal out with a new report last hour that TikTok owner ByteDance, also of China, shelved its plans for an offshore IPO indefinitely earlier this year, This after Chinese regulators told the company to focus on addressing data security concerns. And after nearly two decades of preparing, Sir Richard Branson officially achieving his dream of reaching space. Branson, along with five others, taking part in the suborbital mission over the skies of New Mexico yesterday. Branson and Virgin Galactic getting a leg up on Jeff Bezos and his Blue Origin in the billionaire space race. Bezos, for his part, set to take part in his company's first flight in just over one week. All right, more on all these stories ahead in the next hour. But right now, back to the markets and your money. And we are gearing up, you guessed it, another earnings season. Hard to believe, but true. And you got the banks in focus this week. Look at the names out. J.P. Morgan, Goldman tomorrow. BlackRock City, Bank of America on Wednesday. Morgan Stanley on Thursday. And a train company, Kansas City Southern, out there on Friday. Let's talk about the setup now in the week and bring in Robert Teeter. He is head of the investment policy and strategy group at Silvercrest Asset Management. Robert, good to have you back on. We are coming in with strengths. We got record highs on all the major indexes. You heard my stat on the NASDAQ 100, basically two-month weekly win streak for it. Do you anticipate the strength to continue or are we going to see a little summer
2: volatility ahead? Well, good morning, Brian, and thank you. We are in an interesting and choppy period here. I think if you step back and look at the big picture, uh, this bond market's been trying to sniff out the slowdown that they think is coming for a while. Um, I think that that's the classic, classic way to look at things. Um, but in this instance, I think the economy and the backdrop going forward are pretty strong. And so I think you're going to see this balance, this back and forth, this tug of war between the growth and value sides, between the organic cyclicals uh, and the uh, cyclical cyclicals from COVID.
1: Yeah. What does that mean to you? Does that mean just buy large cap industrials or does that mean go small cap? Because the one group that has not participated as much, although it did have a heck of a run to end last year and into this year, are the small caps.
2: That's right. Well, I, I think we're going through a transition here. And part of the transition is in regards to time frame. So this market really sniffed out the bottom by about a month ahead of time. Uh, it sniffed out the top, meaning the recovery in the economy by about seven months. So now we're in this sort of back to normal mode where you're looking ahead six, seven, eight months at a time. And as we go into earnings season, as you noted, um, I think the earnings numbers are unquestionably going to be very strong. But the question is going to be what comes next and what's after that. And I think we're seeing some of that in the leadership shift that we've had as well. So if you look at the industry groups that have done the best off the bottom, uh, off the recovery that we've seen since the vaccine news came out, Of those top 40 or so industry groups, only about 10 of them are still in a leadership role right now. And so that's all part of this tug of war, this back and forth transition and why I think you need some of the balance between things like you talked about industrials and small cap, um, but also some of the technology names.
1: Wow. Interesting stat there. 30 of those subgroups fading away, certainly as the reopen happened, as many people say, you only reopen an economy once or at least let's hope that's the case. We want to go, as the great Wayne Gretzky said. Robert, I'm not much of a hockey fan, but to where the puck is going, not where it is. So in your mind, nine, 12 months out from now, where is the stock market
2: puck going to be? Well, I think the backdrop is still going to be pretty favorable. So we're going to return to an economy that's probably a bit better than normal. Uh, it's not going to be a boom and then a bust. It's going to be a boom followed by a better than better than normal. Uh, and I think in a better normal environment, you want some things that, that have some of that cyclicality to them. So I don't think you want to abandon the industrials. Uh, Some of the stories that you talked about with regard to China and elsewhere point to a domestic economy being pretty strong and a lot of focus on getting jobs back. That's supportive of small caps. Um, And I think you don't want to abandon technology here. As you noted, it's been very strong, and that's where some of the strength is going to continue into next year and beyond.
1: Finish my sentence for me, Robert. The biggest risk to the stock market right now is?
2: Inflation. Uh, And I think we've got one more reading coming up. In my mind, it's fading Uh, so the the numbers are going to get sequentially slower. It's still going to be a risk factor. Uh, It's been in the headlines for a long time. But I think we're getting past that window of inflation risk and we're going to start looking ahead to next year.
1: All right. Robert Teeter, obviously in the transitory camp, a la the Federal Reserve. Robert, a pleasure to have you back on to kick off the show and kick off the week. Have a great day. Talk to you soon. Thank 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 you. you. All right, you're welcome. All right, we are just getting started here on Worldwide Exchange. When we come back, your big three money movers of the morning, including Facebook, getting a new look from overseas regulators. Elon Musk set to take the stand over Tesla's role in the more than $2 billion deal to buy Solar City, And Congress getting back to work after an extended break with Democrats looking to lock in legislative victories on President Biden's agenda. Jimmy Petakukis lays out where they might get wins whether you might get fights and what it all means to you, the investor and CNBC viewer. We are back with a lot more right after this.
3: What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC.
0: At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need.
3: Is there anything you can't do?
0: Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything.
3: At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time.
1: Time now for your big money movers. The three key stock stories of the morning. Let's go. Stock number one, Facebook. Its WhatsApp division is facing a number of complaints by consumer groups in Europe, over an update to its privacy policy. Get this, the messaging app now sharing data with Facebook. WhatsApp has said the changes allow users to talk with businesses and it would not affect personal conversations. Consumer groups have filed complaints with regulators saying that WhatsApp is basically unfairly pressuring users to accept the new policy. Stock number two, Nordstrom. It has bought a minority stake in the division of British retailer ASOS, it owns brands like Topshop and Top Man as they eye younger shoppers. Terms of that deal have not been disclosed. The ASOS brands will be available in Nordstrom stores, and ASOS shoppers will be able to pick up and return items at Nordstrom and Nordstrom Rack physical locations. And last but not least, stock number three, that is Flipkart, the Indian retailer owned by Walmart, raising $3.6 billion in funding. This latest round values the company at nearly $38 billion. The funding round was led by Walmart, as well as SoftBank's Vision Fund and Singapore's Sovereign Wealth Fund, GIC. All right, on deck, a lot more to do. And despite some huge numbers lately, is there more turbulence ahead for air travel's recovery? The new comments from United CEO on the airline industry's rebound are catching some years ahead.
4: Today's big number. $26,500. That was the average price of a used car in June, according to Edmonds. a new record. That's an increase of 27% over the prior year.
3: At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See Center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time.
1: All right, welcome back and good morning. Let's get a check on some of this morning's other top headlines outside of the world of money and business, including a massive weekend in sports that had millions glued to their TVs. And by millions, I mean at least me. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York now with those. Good Monday morning, Francis.
5: Good Monday morning to you, Brian. And yeah, we start off with former President Trump, who's the proverbial elephant in the room for Republican hopefuls. Even though he hasn't fully committed to a run in 2024, he was the top pick for the party's nomination with 70 percent in a straw poll at the Conservative Political Action Conference in Dallas this weekend. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis came in a distant second. Thousands of Cubans are screaming for freedom in the biggest anti-government protests in decades. Demonstrations erupted all over the island as Cubans reached their breaking point. They've been enduring an ongoing economic crisis and are frustrated with the rolling blackouts, the lack of food, and now vaccine shortages. Over the weekend, the island set a grim record, surpassing 6,000. COVID cases in just 24 hours. In a nationally televised speech, President Miguel Diaz-Canel pointed the finger at the U.S., claiming trade sanctions have created economic misery in the communist-run country. Novak Djokovic pulled off a historic win at the Wimbledon final. His victory secured him a 20th Grand Slam title, tying Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal for the most ever for men. He's now won all three Grand Slam tournaments this year. If he wins the U.S. Open in September, he'll be the first to win all four in more than 30 years well it didn't come home it went to rome england suffered a stunning defeat to italy at the euro cup finals the game started off on a high note after england scored its first goal just two minutes in but it was a whirlwind of hard fouls and close calls as italy got a kick but doesn't make it the pressure culminated in the second half after leonardo Bonucci pounced on that rebound scoring for italy Not even the score but the match ended with an extraordinary that penalty kick tiebreaker the english players brought on just to take their shots ended up missing it all came down to the team's youngest player bukayu Saka, who was stopped by donnarumma giving italy that three to two win it was so intense In those final moments of the game, but even more intense emotion that we saw after uh, from both teams, both sides there, Brian. We were just riveted, just glued to it.
1: Yeah, I mean, listen, ending on penalty kicks, I get it. The game has to end at some point. It is tough to see it go that way, given how both teams played. I watched every minute Mm -hmm. of that game. But think about this, Francis. Think about London. I mean, because that game, by the way, that final was played in London's Wembley Stadium, primarily a British audience. They had Wimbledon earlier that day. They're still talking about COVID lockdowns. They're not fully reopened, but you had 100,000 yeah. people at the game. What a weekend in London.
5: Yeah, and what a blow, you know. I mean, and they're still, I mean, so crushed after coming off of the high of all those, all those huge events. And no. then it ends like this.
1: Yeah, Prince William was there. I know mm-hmm. that uh, the Duchess of York. I believe their their oldest son was there as well. You, mm-hmm. you ever wonder? I mean, you know, and it was heart, and they're in the ties and whatever. And I saw him in the semifinals by himself. You just wonder if if Prince William just once would like to be in a t shirt with some friends, like in the middle of the stands, drinking some beer, beer completely yeah. anonymous.
5: Yeah, you know. Well, well that is. I guess life. when you're a
1: royal family, that's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. Francis Rivera, thank you. Have a great day. You too. All right. Well, speaking of records, thank you. It has already been a record year for venture capital, and we're already just more than halfway through the year. Overall, venture capital firms investing $288 billion globally in the first half of the year. That, according to Crunchbase, the most ever, about $140 billion of that cash going to U.S.-based startups as low rates continue to fuel access to capital. Let's talk more about all of these trends with Nasir Quadri, he is founder and managing partner of Zeal Capital Partners. They're a firm focused on inclusive investing in fintech as well as a future of work startups. He joins us by phone and they, I believe, Nasir, good to chat with you again, my friend. You've got an exciting announcement just closing on a funding round. So congrats on that. I know that official announcement going out later on today. So now you've got a bunch of money to put to work for your, for your clients and your investors. Where do you see opportunity right now? Alright, now Seer, we got to work on the connection just a bit. We'll try to get Nalseer back on. There are some of the portfolio companies that you can see from Zeal Capital. Try to get Nalseer back. Now Seer. If you're out there, we're here for you. Call us back. All right, still to come. Movies are back. And Black Widow taking a big bite out of the box office and at home. The big numbers ahead. And just a gentle reminder: if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss the show any day. You're on the road, back in a car, whatever. Check out the podcast as well. By the way, we know the 5 a.m. hour may not be for everybody's tastes. Dow futures down 157, NASDAQ futures slightly higher. We are back right after this. It's that time again. Earnings are back upon us. Will the numbers justify record stock markets or send investors running scared? One small step for man. One giant leap in the billionaire battle over commercial flights of space as Richard Branson carries out his historic mission to the edge of heaven. And your morning RBI will blow your mind on just how much <clears throat> some of the uber-rich, gets be all choked up just thinking about it, are willing to pay for a small slice of asphalt. The world's most expensive parking space ahead on this Monday, July 12th, and this is Worldwide exchange. I'm telling you, when you hear the RBI and you hear that story about a parking space, you're going to get all choked up as well. All right, welcome or welcome back, everybody, and good Monday morning. Hope you had a great weekend. I'm Brian Sullivan. Let's get right now to out of your money, and the markets are shaping up and setting up their day and their week. The big themes this week will be earnings, a lot of banks out this week, as well as more inflation data tomorrow and Wednesday. I'm looking at, though, some small business data on Friday, that number out of the NFIB. I know the earnings are key. I get it. But I'm looking at you, Main Street, to see how small business is doing. A lot of labor challenges, a lot of other challenges ahead. So it's a big week for that data. Well, overall, we keep watching big tech because the NASDAQ 100 beginning the week with an eight-week win streak. Did you know that? Yeah, coming in on eight weeks up. It's the longest streak since May of 2019. Bond yields, obviously a big part of that story. They've gone down, so people feel that they can invest in tech and high growth, high multiple companies because they make those multiples a little more palatable to investors as well. Ten-year yields stuck at 1.33%. And oil, don't forget it. Also a key to the week, there is still no OPEC output resolution production. Still 400,000 barrels a day lower than they want it to be. Inventories in the U.S. continue to drop. And quickly, oil is down a little bit right now, but still at 73 and a half bucks. Remember, we had a nice move higher on Friday. Inventories, way lower than many people think. That is the key to watch, how much oil is in tanks around America. Well, now to some of this morning's other top headlines, including United Airlines' CEO says that air travel likely will not fully recover from the pandemic until 2023. Speaking in an interview yesterday, Scott Kirby says that while pent-up leisure demand has exceeded 100%, business demand is still off by about 60% all around continued travel restrictions globally. Who's going to fly when you've got to land in a country in quarantine for a couple weeks? Kirby did add that he expects the current mask mandate for airline passengers will be allowed to expire in September. Some good news there. Tesla CEO Elon Musk set to appear in court today as the first witness over his company's two and a half billion dollar buyout of SolarCity. Tesla's shareholders have sued Musk and the company's board, claiming that the 2016 deal amounted to a bailout of the company. They also claim the deal unfairly enriched the Musk family, with Elon serving as chairman of both companies at the time. He has insisted he was fully recused from negotiations over the deal. And the movies, they are officially back. Black Widow proving to be a hit at the theaters and at home. The latest Marvel film pulling in $80 million at the domestic box office in its debut weekend. Disney also saying it made $60 million globally via the Disney Plus streaming service. This marks the first time that Disney has shared information about movie sales earned from streaming. Overall, the numbers together, a big weekend for Black Widow. Now to Washington. How's that for a transition? The web of intrigue. The Senate is back in town this week. Democrats racing against the clock to try to get President Biden's infrastructure plan approved all before Congress's August recess. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer telling members of his party that lawmakers may need to work through that break to get the job done. For more on everything that Congress is trying to get done and what's likely... Let's bring in Jimmy Pethokoukas, American Enterprise Institute Economic Policy Analyst and a CNBC contributor. Jimmy, it's good to have you back on, good to see you. What do you think Congress will and will not be able to get done?
6: Well, I'm not sure what they're gonna get done because I know that they're not sure what they're gonna get done. Uh, Whatever gets done really should be this month. Even if if they have to delay that recess somewhat, which is not, the Senate, which is not certainly unprecedented, you don't want to end up wasting July and then August and then come back at some point in September and still have not resolved the key issues. And one of the key issues really is that second bill we had, like the infrastructure, like bipartisan compromise. Then you have that set second bill, that reconciliation bill. Uh, you know, some progressives want it to still be six trillion. Joe Manchin wants it to be a whole lot less than that. And they need to figure out that top line number and how they're going to pay for it before the infrastructure thing can happen. So some pretty big decisions, some pretty big negotiations that still have to happen. And preferably for Democrats, they should happen fast.
1: Do you feel like some of the momentum behind some of the really, really big numbers, the six trillion, do you feel like some of that momentum has stalled over the last couple of weeks that maybe the Kristen Cinemas, the Joe Manchin's, some of the other moderates of the world simply given the how
6: fast we're recovering,
1: just may not be able to sell it to their electorate.
6: Yeah, that's the thing. When you're sort of in the middle of a crisis, it looks like, wow, we need to do a lot, the government needs to do big things. Uh, we're gonna be getting more, some, you know, continue to get some big job numbers. We're gonna be getting some crazy big GDP numbers. And it's not, even though this isn't supposed to be stimulus, it's supposed to be sort of you know, long-term spending, it's not gonna look like we're in a crisis. And the other big number of people are going to see is, are these big deficit numbers. I think progressives in the Democratic Party who are very excited because they thought they're going to have a massive election win, talking about a transformational presidency and all that, they need to adjust to this reality. They have basically a deadlock Senate, narrow House majority. Yeah. And some of those key senators don't want those big tax hikes and they don't want $6 trillion in spending in addition to all the other spending we've done so far.
1: Yeah, if you go back in history, and I know you and I talked about it before, Jimmy, I know people don't realize this. You go back 200 years, it's the narrowest margin of of power by any party, Republican, Democrat, Whig, (laughs) know-nothings, whatever, bull moose, in history. Or at least going back 150-plus years, you're right. They've got to tread that line. And listen, Americans are smart. They know that this is the biggest. The reconciliation bill would be the largest bill in terms of money in the history of the united states you got to pay for it somehow corporate tax increases increases on the wealthy it's not going to raise enough so either load the debt up or taxes have to go up what do you think
6: will be the ultimate solution if there is one Listen, it would be an existential threat to democrats you know, holding on to congress somehow this whole thing should should fall apart that cannot happen uh, the economy is going to be booming. That's going to be great for Democrats uh, for their midterm elections. I, think the, I, think, I really think they're going to pass the infrastructure, passing a reconciliation bill that progressives are going to think is way, way too small. Uh, in fact, some of, their, some of their wants have gone up rather than the other way. I think we're going to get that. Boy, uh, you know, don't yeah. hold it that it's going to be July rather than, than the fall. But th- they need to do it so much that it's hard to believe them not getting it done. But I'll be honest, the odds of that aren't zero. Well, and, and a lot of the a lot of the Democrats, particularly
1: in the House, are looking at next year's midterms and thinking, you know, I want to get that passed, but I'd also like to get reelected. And people are frustrated because they realize that the taxes or at least some some form of revenue raise is likely to be there. Jimmy Pethokoukas, man, always a pleasure to have you on. Good Monday morning. We'll see you soon, Jimmy.
6: Yep, we'll see you later.
1: All right. Take care. All right, so let's get back down and talk more about a record year for venture capital. I mean, think about that, a record year already, and it's what is it July 12th? Let's welcome back in this year Quadri. He is founder managing partner of Zeo Capital Partners. Now it's good to have you back on. Uh, again, congratulations, a new funding round, and it will formally be announced I hope I'm not breaking any news on you because it's going to be formally announced in just a couple of hours how hot is the vc market right now i mean where are you seeing the most opportunity because you got some money to work with
0: yeah first of all Sully, again it's great to see you and be with you this morning um it, it it vc market the private markets in general is high and we're we're so excited to partner with a plethora of financial services firms private foundations um endowments such as hbcus like hampton university uh, for example, but for us, it, we back in 2019, we actually did a supply and demand uh, market mapping analysis and uh, across two verticals, the FinTech sector and the future of work. And so we see huge market opportunity across these two sectors as it means also to narrow our wealth and skills gap across the country. And so um, for Zeal Fund One, our inaugural fund, we, we, we today, we're, as you mentioned, we're, we're, we've announced our open subscribe fund sixty-two point one million, and efforts to back early-stage, high-growth, um, uh, in private private companies that are rethinking the building blocks of wealth mm-hmm. from education to employment uh, to financial wellness.
1: Yeah, and you're doing something a little bit different. The inclusive investing, sort of focusing on economic impact in communities, is Susu, not Azuzu, the car company. Isuzu, uh, is Susu as a company that helps? people with rent and figuring out financial wellness, you're doing things a little bit differently. But you know as well as I do now, sir. at the end of the day, the people that invest in your fund, they want to do good, but they also want to make their money back plus a little bit. You know what I mean? So how do you sell the inclusive investing idea and say, yeah, we can do good, but we can also be profitable and make a lot of money from these investments?
0: Yeah, that's exactly right, Brian. It's, it's the way access to capital has worked over... Decade plus really hasn't worked for everybody, particularly investable entrepreneurs like women and people of color. And so, inclusive investing to us is a new investment discipline where we have ESG over here, financial services over here. It's, it's a market back, five prong market back strategy that allows us to widen our lens, not just backing companies from very few places, but also um, um, best positioning these companies to outperform. And so, we believe when you are a diverse fund manager, you have a diverse fund managing team, you will organically over-index your allocation into more women and people of color, including other other companies um, across the country. And then being more geographic inclus- uh, inclusive, right? And so being proactive and uh, thinking thoughtfully about investing in, in companies that, that are headquartered outside of Silicon Valley, New York, and Boston. And of course, you have your investment focus, and then we have an impact lens. And so it's It's a market-backed approach that allows us to widen our lens and best position our companies to outperform as well.
1: And you're living it because you're in what I call the new Wall Street, or at least the capital of capital, which is Washington, D.C. Very quickly, Nasir, you also focus a lot on the future of work. Where do you see geographically some of these opportunities? I mean, everybody talks Nashville and Austin. I get that. Where else are you guys looking?
0: So we're looking all across the country, Sully, right? And so... Uh, of course, over the past year, our workforce has become a bit more evenly distributed. And so we're looking at companies from the middle of the country, like Des Moines, Iowa and Denver, uh, from companies down in Miami, of course, companies here in our own backyard. And so, you know, D.C. is not just a federal government hotbed. We have a thriving tech ecosystem uh, coupled with active investors and, um, and, 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 and investable entrepreneurs. And so we're, we, we're, we're going to continue to look and source companies, uh, in New York, in Silicon Valley, but also in Chicago, in Denver. But I think the, the, the best part about this is that we've, we've partnered with a number of accelerator programs, ESOs, entrepreneurs for organizations that allow us to um, have early access to these deals. And we believe with those early access yeah. to deals, also use to to the portfolio as well. Silicon
1: Valley East, aka Miami. This year, Quadria, Zeal Capital Partners, congrats on the funding round closing. Asir, we'll talk to you again soon. Have a great day and a great week.
4: You.
1: You're very welcome. All right, coming up a major milestone in commercial space flight. Morgan Brennan is here to lay out what Richard Branson's trip to the upper atmosphere, the edge of the heavens, means for the space race. We're back with Morgan next. Right, let's get back down One of this morning's, maybe one of this year's top stories, and that is Sir Richard Branson's Virgin Galactic successfully carrying out its first flight to the edge of space in a landmark flight for the commercial space travel sector. Morgan Brennan joining us now on the phone. She was there in New Mexico following that flight. Morgan, great to have you on. I don't know it's like two o'clock in the morning, whatever it is there. What was it like? Put us on the scene.
3: It's uh Yeah, it's, it's a little dark, it's a little early still here in New Mexico. But, I mean, Brian, it was just an incredible day in the New Mexican desert. A major milestone for Sir Richard Branson, for Virgin Galactic, but also for space, commercial space overall. So after the company successfully completed its Unity 22 mission, this was the first ever fully crewed flight to the edge of space for this company. For Branson, I spoke with him. This has been 17 years, a billion dollars personally in the making:
6: everything I' would envisioned it would be, and a thousand times better. I mean it's it, I, I, absolutely impossible to give it you know, to describe it unless you're actually doing it and, and, and I hope we can get thousands and thousands of people to be able to experience what we experienced today.
3: So at about 8:40 a.m. Mountain time on Sunday, the mothership Eve uh, took off from Spaceport America and at about 45,000 feet it released the Unity spaceship. The rocket engines fired up and traveling, accelerating to a speed of Mach 3. It zoomed to more than 53 miles above the Earth, so above the U.S. definition of the start of the Earth for a few minutes of weightlessness before landing back on the runway in New Mexico, just a little over an hour after takeoff. Now, Branson and two of his Five crewmates, the others have flown before, uh, officially became astronauts. There was a little ceremony, pinning ceremony, as 500 people, including Singer Khalid, dozens of ticket holders, or what the company calls future astronauts, also board members, Virgin Group executives, and Branson's friend and fellow space billionaire, Elon Musk, watched on. So following the flight, Virgin Galactic CEO Michael Colglazer telling me as well yesterday that the spaceship, based on the visual check that they do after it lands, According to the engineers, right, looked quote song, pristine, and that pending further analysis is on pace for those final two test flights before summer is out. So perhaps not surprising, Brian, to see shares of Virgin Galactic jumping in pre market this morning.
1: Okay, but let's let's talk about the. It's a little bit different, maybe than some people think, Morgan. It, it is. It's a plane. I mean, it looks like a plane or kind of a mini. Mm-hmm. Space shuttle. Talk, you know, it's not you're on a big rocket, you know, facing up to a giant missile effectively. How is this plane and this space vehicle, whatever they call it, spacecraft, differing from Bezos's blue origin, which appears to be much more of sort of a traditional rocket?
3: It's a great question, especially given the fact that now so much of the attention will shift to Bezos ahead of his July 20th flight. Keep in mind over the weekend and post flight, Bezos himself actually posted. We saw this from a number of folks yesterday, but Bezos posted to Richard Branson on Instagram and said, Congratulations and quote, can't wait to join the club. But in terms of these actual space flight systems, they're both suborbital. So, and they are both going to be focused, these systems, on space tourism specifically, so that's why they're considered direct competitors. But as you mentioned, it's a very different process. Both are reusable. Um, Branson is this space Mm -hmm. plane that is essentially air launched. It all in ends up being about a 90-minute trip. For Bezos, vertically launched on a reusable booster, and then the capsule separates. Um, All in all, that trip to the edge of space and those few minutes of weightlessness, that piece of the equation for both of these systems, though, is about – Uh, A little it's about 11 to 15 minutes. Um, And either way, okay, there's some definitions about the start of space. But either way, you you land back on the Earth as an astronaut.
1: Yeah, I was Darn it, Morgan, I was going to ask you, how long were they weightless? You answered the question before I got to it. But there was a moment, a few (laughs) minutes where you're kind of floating around inside that thing.
3: That's right. So in the case of this space flight yesterday, um, they got to Apogee, which was a little over 53 miles uh, in altitude. Um, and they were able to unbuckle and float around and experience that weightlessness. They saw the curvature of the earth um, and then strapped back in. There were some experiments that were done. Keep in mind, this was a test flight for Virgin Galactic yesterday and specifically focused on what that future customer experience is going to look like. Uh, And so there was testing being done around that. um, But they did actually get to experience basically what future consumers are going to experience that buy these tickets.
1: And we're experiencing it through you and some amazing video as well. Morgan Brennan out of New Mexico. I know you're going to be on all day. And who (laughs) can sleep with this kind of an event anyway, Morgan? Congrats. We'll see you all day on CNBC. Thank you. Thanks, Brian. All right. You're very welcome. Very cool. For more on this historic flight. Let's bring in Sean O'Keefe. He is a former NASA administrator under President George W. Bush, Navy Secretary under Bush 41, former CEO and chairman for Airbus, currently professor at Syracuse. With that introduction, Sean, we got no time left for the interview. Um, Let's talk about this. And I'm going to dither a little bit. I'm going to be the jerk on a Monday morning. And I apologize because there is, and you heard Westview's edge of space, the Carmen line. There is some dithering in the scientific community. Jeff Bezos may be thinking this. Did Richard Sir Richard Branson, really go, quote, to space?
4: Absolutely. yeah. There's no question about it. But this is the historic first here. This is the first time that a privately financed, not government sponsored um, mission was flown to space right at the edge of space. And exactly as Morgan described it, they achieved apogee at uh, a little over 50 miles which is the U.S. definition of what is the edge of, uh, of space itself. So this is a, it's a remarkable achievement, and it's a, a remarkable spacecraft that he's designed that is a, a direct uh, evolutionary derivative, if you will, off of the Ansari X-Prize uh, flight that was done 17 years ago. So it, it is a you know, remarkable evolution that he's pulled together yeah. here and is now making this available for commercial asset for anybody who can pay the freight in order to get the flight.
1: It's not just 17 years. When I see these uh, these video images that we're showing of the plane and, and then launching the rocket, I think back to, what, 1948, the X-1, Glamorous Glennis Chuck Yeager, General Chuck Yeager, being That's launched true. from a plane and breaking the sound barrier for the first time ever, by the way, uh, versus the the rocket style that we talked about, Sean, is there a Absolutely. difference between, the, obviously it's a huge difference technologically, but if you looked at the future of commercial space travel, they're doing it very differently. Is there one that you think is better or more longer lived than
4: others? I think they both have assets and advantages, but this particular airframe and the capability here, it, this is novel. This is a unique characteristic, and you're right. It traces its origins all the way back to Chuck Yeager and the, you know, the X-15 and so forth going forward. So this is a, um, one, of the, one of the real challenges is getting over the hurdle of can you access space from a runway, from a, you know, a, a aircraft or a spacecraft that is uh, essentially designed the same way an airplane is to launch with a pilot that can be maneuverable into space. And that's what this is the beginning of right here. And again, the XPRIZE uh, uh, effort that was uh, achieved in 2004 um, was that first kind of achievement with only a couple of folks aboard. This time now he's expanded it. He's got room for customers and all that. So this is opening up that particular capability. But the real historic achievement is this is the first time you've seen a human access space, a privately financed venture. For which they are strictly there for no mission purpose other than the experience.
1: Other and than to do, the, to do yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, they got bring to the, bring the cost down a little bit. More people could throw their hat in the yeah. ring. That will come, like with everything else, Virgin Galactic stock up 9% right now on this amazing weekend. Congrats to everybody involved. Sean O'Keefe. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate it.
4: Thank you. Appreciate it, Brian. Thank you. All right.
1: You're very welcome. All right. Coming back in a moment, we'll talk more about the markets with Valerie Grant of Alliance Bernstein. We are seeing Dow futures down three-tenths, NASDAQ futures up two-tenths. We're at record highs and an eight-week win streak for the NASDAQ 100. We're back right after this. All right. Got some breaking news out of China right now that is hitting shares of the ride-hailing company Didi. Company announcing it is taking down additional apps in China from the App Store following orders from the Cyberspace Administration of China. Didi says it expects that app takedowns may have an adverse impact on revenue in China. That stock is down four percent. Continues the crackdown on big tech from the Chinese government, coming down hard on a number of the company's big or the country's rather biggest companies as well, going after Tencent. And 10 Cent Music over the weekend too. It's a story we will continue to watch. All right, back down to the overall macro markets as we kick off the week, sitting at new record highs. Bringing Valerie Grant, Senior VP and Senior Portfolio Manager for Responsible Investing at Alliance Bernstein. Valerie, good Monday morning. Good to have you back on. Um, listen, I know you're not a fan of energy. You do socially responsible investing. That does not fall in your in the game plan. There, energy has been hot, but the markets have been able to make new highs. Even with energy being a fraction, I mean, like, what, 4% of the S&P 500. Is there any way for you with your edict to invest anyway on the, on the margins of energy?
7: Yes, certainly uh, there are opportunities, <coughs> excuse me, in energy. Um, energy has some unique characteristics in terms of um, the level of volatility and obviously the correlation with the commodity prices. So we're actually looking at some of the large um, energy companies now and also some of their suppliers uh, to really try to interrogate which ones are actually being proactive and pivoting uh, to a more um, uh, Uh, fossil fuel, um, less focus on fossil fuels and more focus on renewables. We know that many of them, I'm sure you're familiar with what happened with ExxonMobil in terms of the uh, changes to their board of directors. But my sense is that even the large oil and gas companies are going to be taking action on climate change. And so there could actually be some opportunities there for the companies that are are proactive to have a, a place in our portfolio.
1: Yeah, a lot lot of companies say things. They say nice things. Not a lot of companies do the nice things as well. Overall, though, Valerie, listen, 38th record close of the year for the S&P 500, if you're counting at home. NASDAQ 100 on an eight-week win streak. But a lot of uncertainty about how much better the economy can really be. Are are you getting a little wary at, at any point about valuations here?
7: Uh, Not really. I think that the key issue going into the uh, next uh, round of earnings will actually be how are corporate profits performing. And my sense is that we're going to see some pretty strong results. Um, Because you have to remember, there are two factors. There's the multiple on the market, and then there's the underlying earnings, right? And I think we should uh, probably sees some uh, better than expected performance, really across different different sectors. So I'm I'm, I'm not too antsy uh, right now in terms of the uh, valuation overall.
1: And we got earnings season kicking off tomorrow, and what the next two weeks going to dominate the news cycle? What it sounds like you're expecting some pretty big things, Valerie.
7: Yes, I, I think we'll we'll see some strong results. Obviously, we kick off early with financials, and then we move through um, each of the various sectors. It'll be interesting to see what's happening in the consumer um, sector in particular. The health of the consumer is absolutely critical. And then also, what is baked in in terms of any uh, type of inflation that companies are absorbing? Some companies are seeing inflation in terms of their uh, their inputs and and coming from their suppliers. There's a question, though, as to which ones are actually able to pass that through uh, to their end customers. And so I think that's where the questions will lie. You know, that's where the uncertainty yeah, well, whether is. Whether right or not,
1: now. yeah, those higher costs will eat it, eat into their margins as well. That's going to be the watchword of earnings season. I, we do a word cloud on the word inflation for the next two weeks. Valerie Grant, good to have you back on as always. Have a great day and a great week, Valerie. All right. Thanks, Brian. Good to be here. All right, you're very welcome. Take care. All right, and that does it for us. No RBI today, ran out of time. Hey, you got a space story. What else do you expect? We'll bring it tomorrow, folks. Markets are mixed. Have a great day. Squawk in the gang, picking it up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern, only on CNBC. Life
6: is a highway.